Happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another fantastic episode of Cisco Champion Radio. Today, we're talking about Cisco Data Intelligence Platform. Uh, throughout the next 30 to 40 minutes, we're going to reflect back on its history, dive into the CDIP architecture, and discuss the benefits of Intersight. And it wouldn't be Cisco Champion Radio if we didn't have an amazing panel of experts and Cisco Champion hosts to help guide this conversation. All right, without further ado, Sean, we'll start with you. Can you introduce yourself and what it is you do at Cisco? Absolutely. Uh, uh, hey, folks, my name is Sean McEwen. I'm a technical solutions architect here at Cisco. Uh, and in that role, uh, I have a, a global uh, responsibility for various solutions uh, that Cisco Data Center sells, um, going back from big data AI ML architectures and all the way up through now our our cloud-based uh, uh, operating platform, uh, Intersight, and Intersight Workload Optimizer. Alan, same for you. Who are you and what do you do? So very similar to Sean, um, except my name is Alan Stern instead of Sean McEwen. Uh, I'm uh, <laughs> one of our global uh, technical solutions architects, and I cover a number of our platform solutions, among them big data and object storage, as well as a few others. So that's it in a nutshell. Great. Joe, you're up next. Sure thing. Howdy, y'all. I'm Joe Hughes, uh, based out of Austin, Texas. Uh, I'm Cisco champion and uh, currently a solutions architect with Veeam Software, focused on automation and integration. And just based on my background and past history, I'm still a uh, data and data center geek um, and just love playing with all things technology. Great. Sibren, who are you? What do you do? Oh, wow. My, my name is Sibrin Beukerkamp. I'm happy to be, I'm happy to be here. Um, I'm founder of Three Corners, and we are located in the Netherlands. And uh, we're mainly focusing on collaboration. Uh, and my Twitter handle is Sibrin, at Sibrin B. Sibrin, you <laughs> we forgot to do the Twitter handles. All right. Um, do we have Twitter handles? We're, we're going to go back to Sean. Do you have a Twitter handle you want to call out? Uh, I, I have one, but I do not use it for, I, I don't broadcast on it, um, so I lurk. So no, not really. Okay, you're a lurker. Alan, Twitter? I'm also a lurker. Awesome. We have a bunch of lurkers here. Joe? Sure, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Jay Hughes. Just look for the guy in the big green hat. Uh, if you can't spell the name, just look for fullstackgeek.net. Great. Okay, GJ, we weren't going to forget about you. Please introduce yourself, my friend. My name is Gert-Jan de Boer. In short, I go by GJ. I'm a CTO for a Dutch uh, Cisco reseller called Azu, and uh, we're primarily focused on networking and security. Great. All right. So, Sean, kicking it back to you, can you give us a bit more background and context around today's topic? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the idea for today's topic is we're gonna we're gonna cover uh, the the space of big data, uh, AI, and ML, uh, artificial intelligence, and machine learning, uh, and the solutions that Cisco uh, has brought to bear in that uh, arena over the years and currently uh, with our Cisco Data Intelligence platform. So yeah, that's our that's our topic. We're going to take a look at some of the uh, history there, some of the current uh, uh, demands from the market side, and what Cisco is doing about it. Well, that's an that's an excellent introduction. Um, but uh, you're talking about big data now. How uh, 
how do how do you define big data nowadays? Yeah, uh, big data is one of those uh, amorphous uh, kind of kind of topics. It's sort of everything to everybody. It can uh, it's kind of like cloud, maybe you know, it uh, means a whatever anybody wants it to mean at any <laughs> at any convenient time. Um, but I, I think there is a reasonable definition of it uh, that's that that still works today. Um, when when we kind of look back to the history of big data, um, it really began at the turn of this century, the turn of the 21st century, when uh, we started seeing data analysis problems, that uh, were, were essentially uh, straining the uh, state of the art at the time uh, of technology. So we, you know, at, at the time it was essentially the realm of the relational database. That was the the king uh, in terms of data management. You could have uh, any kind of database you wanted as long as it was relational, <laughs> um, and as long as it was probably Oracle at the time. Uh, the, the, and I used to work at Oracle, so we were, we were very happy about that. Um, but we started seeing problems, especially in the, uh, the web space, especially in the, the internet world where the classic relational database really was, uh, no longer adequate, uh, to, to solve the problems. And the, the first really a uh, clear example of that was uh, essentially uh, at Yahoo uh, and Google uh, and some of the larger search engines where they were trying to create um, major, you know, massive indexes of the internet for search uh, purposes. Uh, so you had this, this problem of index creation for search that did not lend itself very well to a relational database. You could maybe do it. Uh, you can maybe build a, a big enough relational database, but you couldn't afford it. Uh, you couldn't afford the infrastructure on it. Um, and so w w we started to see uh, essentially the, the seams bursting a bit here and, and the, the uh, limits of the technology. Um, and that's what led uh, a guy named Doug Cutting um, to sit down and, and uh, he, was, he was, had a search engine called uh, Nutch, I think it was. I, I'm going to forget. Boy, it's been a while. Um, and he, he wrote a, uh, basically a new platform to solve this search problem um, that is what eventually became uh, MapReduce uh, and uh, Hadoop. Uh, and actually, he took his idea, uh, he essentially implemented his idea from a, a pair of white papers that Google produced, uh, one detailing uh, the MapReduce algorithm itself, and the other, uh, the the uh, Google file system, so this this uh, distributed file system, and uh, Doug read those papers, said, "Ha, this this is the thing I need to solve my search engine indexing problem," um, and he basically wrote Hadoop at that point. I'm way oversimplifying. I'm sure there were a ton of other uh, parties involved, uh, but that's that's kind of the basis for it. Um, but the point of all of that is that the uh, the, the underlying physical infrastructure of the day, um, the classic uh, SAN or maybe NAS environments uh, running relational databases were just inadequate. Uh, they, they weren't uh, designed for the kind of unstructured data sets. Uh, they weren't designed for the, the sheer volume of data. 
um, and the the kind of um, speed with which you had to compute these uh, and create these indexes because that was that was the name of the game, right? You didn't want search results that were a week old or a month old. You wanted search results that were current. Um, and so those three main areas uh, now often referred to as the three V's, uh, volume, velocity, variety, those were the metrics that, uh, or, or the, the problems with data that classic technology couldn't really solve. And so this is a very long way, way around uh, uh, the, the way of getting to your, your question, which is, well, how do you define big data? Well, big data basically is, is, is a volume, velocity, or, and or variety problem that can't be solved with traditional data architectures. Uh, so if you have a if you have a data problem that is too big, too unstructured, um, or or requires uh, too much brute force, too much speed, you, know, you got to get it done too quickly uh, for classic architecture, then you're you're dealing with a big data problem at that point, um, and you, you're going to have to look uh, outside of the the sort of classic relational world to solve it. Very likely. So, Sean, since uh, our panelists are going to be asking us a bunch of tough questions, I think we get to ask them one, and that's to see if they know where the name Hadoop and the Hadoop elephant came from. Any takers on that bit of trivia? Hadoop. Whoa. I need to Google that, I guess. <laughs> I know. I have no idea. So, actually, Hadoop is the name of Doug Cutting's child's pet stuffed elephant. <laughs> and the elephant symbol for Hadoop is a characterization of that stuffed animal. So no oh, great wow. technical origin. It's just uh, a kid's stuffed elephant. Nice. That's a, a good yellow one. elephant. That's pretty a cool. Yellow, yellow elephant. elephant. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Exactly. But now Apache is, is maintaining Hadoop, if I understand it correctly. Yeah, so... so uh, if I, if I'm going to try to remember the history here, but basically, uh, like I said, Doug, Doug read those papers from Google. Um, and one, one interesting thing is what, why did, why did Google publish those papers in the first place? Why did, why did Google sort of, uh, um, show the world what it, their, their own sort of, uh, I mean, cause they, they, they wrote all this stuff in house, right? Um, they effectively invented MapReduce and, and the Google file system. Um, why give that out? to the world and, and to your, to their competition really um, at the time. And there's a number of theories for that, but I think probably one of the main ones is that they were trying to hire people that, that could help them. And they wanted, they wanted this technology to become essentially ubiquitous. They wanted it to be taught in schools. They wanted developers to embrace it. They wanted the ecosystem to grow um, and then be able to actually <laughs> hire, hire folks that knew what they were doing instead of having to, to train them up. And, um, that uh, is essentially what happened. Um, once, once uh, cutting uh, essentially, uh, you know, open sourced Hadoop uh, after after proving the concept uh, from the from the white papers, uh, it just took off. It it absolutely blew up, um, and the uh, Hadoop distributions uh, popped up left and right. I mean, you had, so Cloudera was founded and Hortonworks was founded and MapR and IBM had a distribution and 
I, I think the Kardashians had a distribution at one point. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> Everybody had one, right? Um, and it was the Wild West um, uh, for a while there. And, and it became it became kind of like, uh, I guess, like cloud uh, a few years later uh, where everybody was saying that was the solution to the problem before even asking what the question was, right? Uh, just, oh, it's got to be, you know, you, you need to do something with data. You got to do Hadoop. And that, of course, uh, wasn't true. And, and there, there were some problems that Hadoop solved quite well. Um, but, um, there were others that it was, it was just very poorly suited for. And it was, you know, rough around the edges, let's say, uh, you know, the, uh, you wanted a job, uh, doing Hadoop, the, the, the job interview was basically, okay, can you get it installed? And if so, yes, we'll, we'll, you know, it's like, it was, it was not <laughs> easy back then. Um, but the, I, I can't remember who said it, um, but it was, it's a, and it might have been cutting himself, but it was like, with Hadoop, simple things are are hard, but hard things are possible. Um, and and that was really the the crux of it. If you had a hard problem, then all of a sudden you had this new tool that uh, could could really help. Um, and that's what that's what led to that uh, kind of gold rush. Um, and that's when Cisco got involved. Uh, we. We began, I think, around. So I started at Cisco in 2010. Actually, Alan and I were uh, were new new uh, hires at the within a, I think a week of each other. We went to new hire training together. So uh, I've had to put up with them for a decade, an entire <laughs> decade, longer than many marriages last. Yeah, yeah, it's bad. Um, but uh, about a year after I started, so I think it was around 2011, um, we, we, Cisco got into uh, the big data space. Um, we partnered with Cloudera, with Hortonworks, with MapR, um, uh, a little bit with, um, back then, uh, that was another distribution, um, Pivotal HD, and prior to Pivotal, it was, um, boy, who had that, um, well, I'm 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 straining the memory banks now. But um, before Pivotal, uh, Pivotal bought it. Oh, Greenplum, right? Greenplum HD. Um, uh, I think got subsumed by Pivotal at one point. And anyway, there were distributions left and right. And we partnered with uh, the major players there and uh, created uh, Cisco validated designs CVDs. Uh, which, uh, if you're a Cisco customer, I'm, I'm sure you've probably come across one of these documents in, in, at some point. Um, and these are extensive, uh, extremely well-detailed uh, blueprints, effectively, for uh, building and architecting a, a given uh, solution, uh, software-hardware solution together uh, with, with a Cisco infrastructure. And um, I think our first Hadoop CBD probably came out in 2012. Uh, I don't know, Alan, if you happen to remember, but no, that sounds um, about right. Good. Yeah, um, and ever since uh, we have uh, been uh, iterating on that theme uh, with our partners, uh, and and the number of partners has dwindled, right? So that, there were all those distributions, and of course, competition and uh, market dynamics shake out. Um, and after a while, it kind of whittled down to three main players. There was Cloudera, uh, Hortonworks, and MapR, and they battled it out for a number of years. Uh, and then within a pretty short time span, um, I, uh, MapR, I think, filed for bankruptcy and got bought. Uh, 
and then um, Clodera purchased uh, Hortonworks. And so effectively down, we're, we're, we're basically down to one major uh, player at, at this point, Cloudera. Um, and yes, the, the Hadoop project is still an Apache project. Uh, so Apache managed a, a project on the back end. Um, and Cloudera takes Apache code downstream and then they bundle it and, and um, uh, you know, modify it, add their own pieces to it and uh, just sell it as a distribution. So now within the Hadoop ecosystem, you know, it's it's coming on almost 15 years down the road, I think, from like the, the first iterations and it being released. Now that there is the the shrinking number of um, frameworks and technologies that are that are in the space for the major players, but now that also the needs for data are growing the way that they are and compute is now being able to shift down to, you know, containers that are be able to pull out, you know, slices of, of actual hardware. What does that look like within a within a platform such as you know the Cisco UCS um, and and all of the data center products? You know how are you guys able to address those needs? Great question. So you know probably for the first you know twenty ten through twenty let's say sixteen or so seventeen somewhere in that realm um, there were kind of three legs of the stool uh, in in the big data world uh, Hadoop this one major cornerstone, right? That was the, the area where you were going to do heavy lifting batch oriented for the most part, um, uh, you know, unstructured, uh, semi-structured data processing, right? You were going to, that was your, your sledgehammer. So if you needed to do uh, massive transformations or, or data massaging before loading into a data warehouse or, um, simply doing a major, you know, big query across a huge data set. Um, that was your that was your tool. Uh, we also had uh, unstructured, no SQL databases. Uh, I shouldn't say unstructured, semi-structured, unstructured, uh, no SQL databases, which were more transactional in nature or more real-time in nature. Um, so your Cassandras, your uh, um, um, uh, high, uh, sorry, no, uh, HBase. Um, uh, help me out, Alan. Give me a. I'm trying to remember if you <laughs> Mongo. <laughs> from the yeah, Mongo's yeah, out there. Exactly. Yeah, uh, and and those were were still considered big data in the sense that uh, you're dealing with a a velocity problem there for the most part. Sometimes a a, a, a volume um, and and certainly a variety problem. Right. You're you're dealing with uh, data that doesn't um, again lend itself to a structured a predetermined, you know, uh, relational database architecture. Uh, and then you had the, the, the data warehousing world, but it was the data warehousing world was starting to take cues from Hadoop and starting to go with a, uh, more of a shared, nothing scale out design, uh, where you're, you're bringing, uh, essentially the, the compute to the data rather than the other way around in the, in the classic architecture it was always, uh, you know, data's in the sand, computes over on the left here, you know, like uh, totally separate and to do anything to it uh, with the data, you had to pick the bits up off of the platters and move them across the network uh, and get them to the compute and then massage them over in the compute side of the space and then write the results back down. And at uh, at large scale, that that proved to be a choke point. That the, the network proved to be the bottleneck there. Uh, because you, 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 your disks, if you if you think of the aggregate bandwidth of you know five hundred spindles in a in a SAN array, 
um, it could easily saturate uh, uh, the, the links in the SAN. You know, if you just, if, you know, 100, 150 megabyte a second uh, off of a spinning media platter multiply by 500 and you're going to you're going to cook your links if you get everything moving at the same time right if you really parallelize your workloads so uh, those are the, the so, so the data warehouses saw that problem as well and they started taking some of the the same approach um, and so you had those three pillars basically in that early era uh, but things have changed uh, as we've talked about uh, we 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 saw the consolidation in the Hadoop space. Hadoop itself changed a bunch um, and started uh, opening up to more real-time use cases uh, and providing more real-time capabilities. Um, and we saw the advent of containers uh, and containerization. Uh, we saw the advent of um, AI and ML, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning. And we saw object stores become uh, uh, very helpful, very useful, uh, and cheap uh, in, the, in the cloud world. Um, and so all of those newer demands and newer capabilities uh, kind of uh, result in a, a new three-legged stool, if you will. Um, and, and that is still, still Hadoop uh, as, as one of the pillars there, but it's, a, it's kind of a, a newer, uh, more capable Hadoop. Uh, one, again, that's more uh, capable of real time. It has, uh, and it's even now more recently evolving to uh, be able to, to store a lot more smaller files, a lot, uh, manipulate them more, more efficiently and so forth. Um, you have the AIML containerized uh, sort of data scientist pillar where, where they, they tend to want to work um, in smaller data sets or work on smaller data sets and, and sort of on their own uh, uh, working in their workbooks and 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 uh, playing with the data, so to speak. Um, and uh, by the way, I'm going to say that uh, a couple of times. I'm sure during this podcast, playing with data, uh, any data scientist would cringe at me saying that they're playing for their for their job, right? They're they're um, it's it's a it's a colloquialism, but they they are um, uh, essentially experimenting uh, w with with queries and data and. And so I'll, I'll probably misuse the term playing with data uh, or pejoratively, at least. It's not intended. <laughs> um, and then that, the, the third pillar would be um, the, the very, very large scale object store needs where our customers are just, just uh, uh, needing to, to have a cheap place to, to efficiently uh, store large objects. Um, and the classic example is, you know, you know uh, images, um, uh, massive numbers of images that are this, uh, you know, single self-contained object that you just want to do basically gets and puts on, um, uh, and, and they don't change, you know, once, once you store it there, it's not something you update. It's if you, if you, uh, make a change to a photo, you store either the Delta or you store the new photo. You don't, uh, you know, typically manipulate the old one. Sorry, uh, again, I got, <laughs> I got rolling there, but that's, that's that, uh, so, so that, that transition to that new uh, uh, sort of three-tiered arc or three-pillar architecture, um, that's what we see the, the, the current and future uh, market demand pushing toward, um, and that's what Cisco's responded with uh, uh, with our uh, a Cisco data intelligence platform. We have a, an architecture now that supports all three of those uh, areas and again continue to work with 
partners like Cloudera uh, to and to to uh, validate and uh, establish a, a successful architecture that our customers can implement. So when you're talking about an arch- uh, architecture, are you talking about uh, specific products that are bundled together or as a whole solution? Can you tell us a bit more? Our architecture, it's less of a skew uh, that you just kind of you know pick and choose from and uh, more of that concept of the of a validated design where you can there we we, we certainly uh, understand the need for customers to be able to uh, have flexibility in what it is they deploy uh, and how they deploy but they want to know that it's going to be successful they want to know that they're not the guinea pig that this is uh, something that somebody's thought about right and and understood and and uh, tested and said yeah you know what this this works we we you if you go down this path you'll be successful and you can if you want to, to choose a different uh cpu or a, you know a different size uh, hard drive or what you know that's that's all kind of in the noise uh for the most part it's the overall design testing and architecture that that we're uh, in support of um, and we still to this day, the, the majority of customers' needs fall into that first tier that's still in that um, Cloudera Hadoop bucket, so to speak. Um, I, I, we're, we're seeing more and more push into the second where they, they want essentially uh, their data scientists or their data analysts to be able to extract a subset of data out of uh, their data lake um, and uh, work on it sort of uh, somewhat independently, like off on their own, um, sometimes on their own desktop, but, but you know, in a, often in a smaller uh, container farm uh, where uh, managed by Kubernetes, where they can uh, have access to maybe GPUs, uh, right? Have access to um, more uh, uh, tailored compute um, to do the kinds of work, the special kinds of work that they're they're in need of, um, and then and then the object store piece is is usually a scale issue, and so that that gets into the largest deployments where um, even even storing data in Hadoop uh, starts to hurt <laughs> the the wallet, and they're looking for uh, an even lower uh, uh, cost tier uh, for for longer term storage. Yeah, and while all that storage, you know, is changing with the advent of using object storage, we're starting to see the rise of sort of a new Apache project in in Ozone, right, Sean? Yeah, great, uh, great point. I forgot to talk about Ozone, but um, that that uh, Ozone is the uh, kind of newest uh, file system option within the Hadoop ecosystem and is one that Cloudera is, uh, I, I think Cloudera has gone GA with it, or if not, they're very close. Um, and it is a, an alternative to uh, HDFS, uh, HDFS being the Hadoop data file system uh, that has been the underpinning for, for Hadoop since its birth um, and draws its lineage all the way back to the Google file system and so forth. Um, the the, the the genius of the Hadoop file system back in the day was uh, its ability to protect data uh, and also in, by, by distributing it, 
um, and ensuring that there's no single point of failure and that you could tolerate uh, uh, the loss of, of any portion of your overall architecture without uh, worrying about losing data, uh, but also be highly performant when it comes to uh, reading data in parallel off of spinning media. Um, and if you think about, uh, and I'll get to Ozone in just a second, but if you, if you think about the, the problem of spinning media in terms of performance, um, you know, random reads and random writes as well, but random reads are very inefficient on spinning media. If, if you have the, the seek time, you have to wait for the head to move around on the platter to go find the, the sectors that you're reading from. Um, and that if, if that's done in a random fashion, you kill your bandwidth coming off the disk. Uh, but if you can read in a sequential manner where the head stays fixed and just lets the platter spin underneath it, um, you, you can pull data off of a, of a spinning disk, you know, 150 megabytes a second, maybe 200 megabytes a second, depending on your, 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 uh, the rotational speed of the disk. Um, and what, what HDFS did quite well is to lay down to store data on spinning platters in a uh, very efficient way. Uh, such that the data was in essentially in line on the on the platter, um, and so when you went back went to read it, when you went to pull back a block, these were big blocks, uh, you know, 128 meg, 256 meg blocks, sometimes larger. Um, you were going to get a very efficient read. You were going to get the full bandwidth or close to it off the the spinning disk, and then you multiply that by. 12 disks in a server times 100 servers in your data lake and and all of a sudden you've got a massive amount of read bandwidth right and so you could you could do these big data problems um, and hdfs was great at that um, what it wasn't so great at was storing small files um, and what it, what it wasn't so great at was scaling um, uh, you know it's, because it used really big blocks you want to store a 4k file well you had some work to do to figure out how to concatenate a bunch of 4K files together until you had a, enough of them to put into a big block. And then what if you only wanted to retrieve one 4K byte and, or, or, you know, a chunk? Not so great. Um, and the metadata management for HDFS, the way that HDFS worked uh, uh, and still does, uh, with managing the, the, the block map um, and, you know, who has what block and where it belongs and all that, that started to max out. That started to, to, to crap out, if you will, um, with as disks kept getting larger and larger, you, you, you get, now we've got, what do we got? 16 terabyte disks now, Alan? I can't even remember what's the latest yep. on the, yeah, they're massive. So big disks, you know, back, back when Hadoop started, they were one terabyte, right? Um, so, so now you've got, way more blocks per disk that you can store and therefore way more blocks per server and a lot more blocks to maintain a map of. And that, that was just hitting scale issues. And so ozone solves these problems, uh, with, with classic HDFS ozone allows for a distributed uh, metadata management system. So you're, you're not bottlenecked on a, uh, you know, a name node or a, a centralized, uh, a metadata server. Um, and you can handle small files. You can handle uh, a, a lot more uh, variety in the in the in the way you want to store data. And so that um, you know, it, se it seems like Cloudera is betting pretty hard on on the future of Ozone. 
Um, and that's a, an area we've worked with closely with them to to test and validate. Well, excellent. Well, I, I was I was wondering. Um, um, we were also talking about a, a validated design, uh, meaning uh, there's some kind of validation process for the uh, for the for the intelligence platform. How 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 does that look like? So this is uh, an area the the CBD the Cisco Valid Design uh, program is one that's uh, it's bigger way bigger than than just the the big data world, right? Um, it's something that Cisco's had for years. Um, and the, the, the general uh, process is to, uh, with, you know, if it involves a partner, in this case it does with, with our software partners, um, we basically bring their engineers and our engineers into Cisco Labs, our equipment, their software, um, and we kind of lock the door <laughs> and, uh, and, and uh, force them to figure it out, you know. Uh, and basically they sit down and, and build it from scratch and get it working and say, okay, you know, it, it, and, and test it, right? And then go back and do it all over again and, and validate it and document it um, and make sure that, that every step, like I, 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 if, you ever, if you ever look at one of the, uh, the, the Hadoop uh, CVDs, it's probably a couple of hundred pages uh, of really scintillating <laughs> uh prose it's uh mm-hmm. it's a <laughs> it's a it's a lot it's it's detailed um it's kind of screenshot by screenshot step by step uh, uh you know a blueprint uh design and uh the the beauty of that is when if you follow through on it if you follow the steps um you're gonna you're gonna have a success at the end right um and then what we've done in the big data space, and certainly I'm sure with others in CBD in CBD land at, at Cisco, um, is we've gone through and taken those CBD designs, those those actual designs, and run them through public benchmarks. Um, so in the case of big data, uh, the the uh, Transaction Performance Council (TPC) council, or that's redundant TPC, um, they uh, have a number of different public benchmark standards for various data problems, you know, old school relational data warehouse and, and more recently big data. Um, and we've tested our CVDs in the, in the TPC HX and TPC. Oh, I'm going to forget some of the, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a handful of uh, big data benchmarks that we've participated in uh, and done quite well in over the years. And those are public. So you can see the, you can see the underlying, uh, uh, you know the the equipment used, mm-hmm. the the exact specs, all of that is is publicly published on the TPC dot uh, org website. Thanks. It's kind of, it's kind of like uh, the at least it's, it's the theory behind like NASCAR, right? Is supposedly a, a, a configuration. You, you know, NASCAR supposedly you can buy those cars stock. Obviously, you can't, but it used to be that way, right? Uh, and with TPC, that's the, that's the idea is you can actually go out and purchase uh, the, the you know the the winning uh, benchmarks. So with customers scaling out their environment, which which of the three, you know, legs of the stool of these architectures are you seeing that customers are having more needs in? You know, is it is it the data lake and the Hadoop side? Is it their compute farms or is it really just the the you know deep storage for all the data? Great question. Um the the um there's there's what they need and what they want. <laughs> 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 and I, I say that a little tongue in cheek in the sense that, that, that 
right now the need the most of the need is still in the in the hadoop realm most of the need is still uh you know deploying new or upgrading old uh hadoop clusters clutter clusters and uh, or, or or expanding them or adding some functionality to them that that's still the bulk of the demand like of the need right um the want so to speak or at least the the, the shiny cool uh, object that everybody's got their their uh, uh, desires focused on is the AIML space, right? That's that's the thing that the that customers know they 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 need to figure out how to get going uh, if if they haven't already jumped in. They know that uh, the future of competition is going to come down to how well you can implement AIML technology. Um, it, it it it's it's really getting pervasive. Uh, I mean, we've all seen examples, I'm sure, of uh, you know self-driving cars and um, you know the, the the predictive technologies when you you know uh, are, are shopping online and what have you. All, all of this stuff has AIML underpinnings, um, and businesses are starting to see that. Yeah, they, like I, it's not science fiction anymore. Um, and not only is it not science fiction. I'm going to be at a competitive disadvantage if I don't figure out how to uh, utilize this tech. And so the the AIML uh, containerized Kubernetes kind of clusters that that they want uh, or they're, they're starting to see the the, the need for um, that's emerging, I would say, um, and more in the in the want than the need uh, category, so to speak. And then and like I said, the the uh, the object store thing is really, um, I think object stores are pretty mature at this point. Um, the need there is generally one of scale. So um, sometimes it's a specific data problem that just fits really well uh, with an object store. Um, oftentimes, though, it's a, it's a, I just can't keep growing the, the data lake um, at its current rate without bending the curve uh, from a cost per terabyte perspective and need another way out. So we've been talking about a bunch of products uh, for about half an hour. And what I'm wondering is uh, we haven't talked about InterSight yet and uh, everything in the data center space, every presentation uh, from Cisco, you hear something about InterSight. Is InterSight playing a role in the data intelligence platform? Yeah, absolutely, uh, and and thank you for for mentioning that. Um, Intersight, for those that aren't familiar, uh, is Cisco's cloud operating platform. Is Cisco's uh, SaaS delivered uh, cloud service for the data center. Uh, and uh, Intersight emerged three years ago um, with with a kind of primary use case at the time uh, for. Uh, providing essentially uh, UCS and Hyperflex management uh, from the cloud. So the ability to uh, essentially manage and maintain uh, UCS and HX infrastructure uh, from, a, from a central location in the cloud. Um, it often got compared to, for better or for worse, to uh, sort of the uh, uh, UCS, right? So, so basically taking the control plane from on-prem uh, taking it out of the fabric interconnect um, and putting it in the clouds in a, in a centralized fashion. Um, but it was never intended to just do that. 
that was the primary use case. That was the original, uh, uh, you know, reason for for launching and getting uh, uh, you know a lot of momentum and customer support, and and it was extremely successful in that and is. Um, but we uh, more recently have started from the beginning. We had some fundamental principles with with Intersight um, that uh, we're, we're 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 really starting to see uh, Cisco execute on. Um, fundamental principles that uh, enable us to deliver new services through the platform of Intersight that aren't just tied to um, the the UCSHX platforms. Um, we we want we have a first of all it's SaaS delivered. It is centralized. It is uh, in the in the cloud. It is uh, built on a, a CI/CD pipeline, so we can deliver new features. Uh, daily weekly uh, it's like uh, nobody knows what version of google mail they're running uh, same same idea with intersight you, you log in you get new features um, and and third-party support uh, and open uh, public api that's uh, got great support for programmability and so forth and so all of that, those underpinnings, which some of which weren't necessarily required for the original use case, um, but we knew would be beneficial in the long term, we're starting to take advantage of and execute on. Um, and uh, being able to do things more recently like um, uh, 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 Intersight Kubernetes service, uh, that's, that's uh, something we've been uh, working on for a while. Uh, being able to deploy inter, uh, Kubernetes clusters from from Intersight. Um, uh, uh, my area of expertise more recently has been Intersight Workload Optimizer. Uh, we're able to, to offer uh, optimization service for both public and private cloud and third-party hardware um, and, uh, and and infrastructure. So uh, we're really we're really starting to fire on all cylinders with with Intersight, and that includes to get your question the the uh, uh, CDIP, the Cisco Data Intelligence Platform uh, that we've been discussing, uh, the ability to manage, maintain that from Intersight. Um, and where this gets quite interesting, uh, I think, is that uh, one of the big problems with uh, a data lake architecture, uh, maybe the problem, uh, you know, if you, if you really think about what uh, having to, the responsibility of having to manage one of these things uh, requires, is is that you're you're building effectively a supercomputer? You're building a, a one big supercomputer out of dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, underlying individual servers, right? And you're trying to get all of these tens or hundreds or even thousands of individual servers to work together in service of this one big supercomputing need, right? Um, and to do that, you need consistency in your deployment, in your management, in your upgrade, in your growth. Uh, you, you, you need control over the, uh, the, the manner in which you, you run that infrastructure uh, because small errors that wouldn't bite you on, a, on an environment that has three servers in it will kill you when you have 300. And, uh, you know, there, there are numerous examples abound, uh, but, but simple thing like, you know, you, you, you got the, uh, some obscure bio setting wrong. Um, you got a, a network setting in your provisioning process that's off. Um, 
all, all any kinds of small things like that get amplified uh, and cause major havoc at scale. And so Intersight, because that control plane is uh, decoupled from the hardware and centralized in the cloud, um, provides that source of truth, that single source of truth for the infrastructure um, and allows you to know, okay, uh, if I need to make a change, I make it one place and I can propagate it. If, if um, something is off, the anomaly will be obvious because it will not match uh, the, the, the source of truth. Uh, you know, in, in Intersight. Um, and it leads to the ability then for, for uh, and this is future capability. I'm, I'm, uh, I have to put my, uh, my uh, legal disclaimer uh, hat on. Um, future capability of being able to deploy from Intersight uh, uh, a new cluster or a new uh, component of the, of the CDIP architecture. So, you can imagine, uh, and we are certainly uh, uh, busy uh, busy at work on being able to uh, essentially take what's in a, a CBD, a paper CBD, uh, historically, and uh, uh, virtualize, uh, virtualize the wrong term, but turn that into an electronic CBD uh, and say, okay, you know what, uh, that CBD concept, I love it, that's great, but I don't want to have to be the human being pushing the buttons and clicking next on the wizard and so forth. I just want to go to Intersight, select from a list, say, okay, I have a, I, I want to deploy a, a new Cloudera cluster per CVD standards. Go. And, and here's my hardware. You know, I, I've, uh, I've got a bunch of UCS gear. That's, that's blank. It's, it's empty. It's ready to roll. You know, I just powered it on and cabled it and, and claimed it in Intersight. Um, and, and, now I want it to, to become my data lake or add new servers to an existing or, or what have you. So uh, that's where I'm super excited about the, some of the, the potential uh, uh, of having that, that centralized control plane and, and that extensible cloud operating platform of Intersight. All right. Well, this has been another great episode of Cisco Champion Radio. I want to thank you all for listening in today and a special thank you to our guests and Cisco champion host for being a part of today's episode. If you want to learn more about today's topic, just click on the link provided in the podcast description below. And just a reminder, you could subscribe to Cisco champion radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button now. Actually, if you made it to this point, leave a comment and tell us where on the globe you're listening to us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. See you next Monday.